Welcome to the Becoming Mindful podcast. Today we want to do another part of Is Mindfulness Bad? And we want to talk specifically about capitalism and productivity with relation to mindfulness. I am Maria. And I am Jackie. And we are Becoming Mindful. All right, welcome, welcome. Kind of a big topic today. Yes, very big. Let's start with how mindfulness can be argued to be bad. What's the case against mindfulness in relation to capitalism and productivity? Yeah. I wonder, as I started thinking about this, if they even can coexist because my initial reaction to that intersection is that, you know, they can't. Capitalism is almost antithetical to what mindfulness is. I guess we can argue if what we have is mindfulness, can it maintain its integrity? Yeah, I think that's the big part. Because really, if we look at mindfulness in the current Western society, the term mindfulness and how it is practiced and taught almost plays hand in hand with capitalism. It's become mainstream, right? It's been endorsed by celebrities like Oprah Winfrey, Goldie Hawn, and Ruby Wax, especially Oprah Winfrey being a billionaire and having the recent scandal about the Maui wildfire fund and scamming people there and so many things. So really in the Western society, what we call mindfulness is almost, you know, you can argue the capitalist grift, right? It's a almost $4 billion industry now, what we call mindfulness. Oh, wow. I know it's ridiculous. And at this current stage, it's more of a tool to self-discipline and like a self-help thing, right? We have all these mindfulness programs somewhat as a method to performance enhancement. Yeah. And yeah. in that case, could you argue that mindfulness is almost a tool to adjust to the very conditions that cause the problems, right? <clears throat> Supporting yeah. the status quo. Yeah. It's almost like spiritual bypassing, utilizing it for you know, taking advantage of what it can be. Like I see those examples of offices using or implementing um, mindfulness services and things in the hopes that it will increase productivity. You can use it to focus better and be more productive, like they're saying, but also you can, if you're really allowing yourself to open to the practices, I think you're going to start to value, you know, your like self-care and start to maybe prioritize things like work-life balance and things like that. And maybe businesses are becoming better at actually catering to those kinds of things. You know, maybe it's not all just a marketing ploy. Maybe they are getting a little more woke. I don't know. But yeah. it's such a weird intersection. There's so many overlaps. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting because 
in a capitalist system, you always have this drive to, in some way, shape, or form, commoditize things and utilize them to make money, right? To mm -hmm. make profits, and which goes really against what I would consider mindfulness. But mindfulness in a vacuum, the way it comes now, where we have these mindfulness programs from all these companies and all these hundreds and thousands of books about mindfulness, <clears throat> it's really something companies use to increase the productivity and reduce the stress of their workers to the extent that it's beneficial for them for a profit margin, right? We have it driving this whole making us become this content, mindful capitalist. And I think part of it is because the roots of mindfulness, and we've talked about this before, what's the history and where does it come from? A lot of it, it comes from Buddhism, right? And what we see in the Western world is mindfulness is pretty much something that is stripped off a lot of the important elements in those Buddhist teachings, which include things like ethics and the letting go of attachment of a false sense of self and the compassion for all beings and things. And so it's kind of this small sliver that it's been reduced from making it more scientific and more secular, which we've talked about this too, taking the spiritual element out of it. I think a big one is also this focusing on the self. Like mindfulness is something that happens within yourself. It's becoming individualistic, which is not what it originally was. I have a interesting quote from this guy who wrote a book that is called Mac Mindfulness. So it's like a play on McDonald's and mindfulness and the commodification of mindfulness. And he also talks a big time about how it's become focusing on the individual versus the system of the problems of how you deal with stress and things like that versus looking at the systems that actually cause stress. So he's saying, if we are unhappy about being unemployed, losing our health insurance, and seeing our children incur massive debts through college loans, it is our responsibility to learn to be more mindful. John Kabat-Zinn assures us that happiness is an inside job that simply requires us to attend to the present moment mindfully and purposefully without judgment really this, it's your responsibility as an individual. And it's reminiscent of the whole discussion around recycling, right? Who's really the cause of this and what should be addressed versus what we're focusing on. I think it's kind of a double-edged sword when it comes to the commoditization of mindfulness, because I agree 100% with everything that you pointed out about it, but 
it's an accessible way to get the information to people. And like you said, I think when you commoditize it, you have to package it up and, you know, it starts to dilute it, like you said, and it becomes this standalone, you know, thing instead of this lifelong practice. And um, we just don't, I don't feel like we have a really good way in our culture to share that kind of information. And like, how do you become more mindful without seeking out books on it or teachers or programs? I think it's probably a, a subjective gray line where it can become problematic. You know, when we talk about the roots of mindfulness being in Buddhism and how it was taught, you know, at, by practitioners, you know, who lived it every single day and to learn it, you went and absorbed it really, right? And I don't know how accessible that is to anyone in, in our culture now. So I guess, I, I want to be okay with some commoditization, even though it feels icky because that's not really the spirit of where you end up when you start to live more mindfully. It's yeah. less about all the consumption. Yeah, and I think one doesn't necessarily have to lead to the other. To make something more accessible, it is not required to commodify it, Right. No, I, I don't but know. I, how would you disseminate it without commoditizing it? How would, how, what is the most effective way of helping people become more mindful if not commoditize? I mean, we technically are right now with our podcast, right? Um, you know, packaging it up for, for people to consume. That's right. That is exactly right. I think we just have to remember that mindfulness is not just this little piece of everything and to not fall into the trap of having it just be a marketing strategy to, to uphold the status quo of capitalism. I think there's a lot of, (laughs) there's a lot of work involved. Because, I, and I know we've been guilty of this too, where things like talking about how mindfulness and meditation like link to neuroscience and making it more secular and breaking mm-hmm. it away from the Buddhist teachings and stripping away the other pieces that are very much activist or radical in nature, right? Mm-hmm. And especially the looking more from a collective side of everything, how we interpret or live the teachings of mindfulness. Because if mindfulness is solely a self-improvement or self-actualization tool, then there's something missing, Right. Because then mm-hmm. you can use that to help the means of capitalism <clears throat> instead of breaking it apart or digging deeper under it. Mm-hmm. Now, I would also say 
you're right, mindfulness is also just a tool. Like any tool, the tool itself is not really responsible of changing the world or making sure it's used for good. I think there is something that it needs to be put in context of these systems that uphold the nature that or the ethical part of it that is anti-capitalist and anti-exploitation and more of a communal mindset. It's, it's the, I see the suffering and I'm meditating on it versus the, I actively try and reduce suffering and I, for everyone, regardless of who they are. Yeah. I think in that way that I see the suffering and oh, you're actually doing something about it. I think mindfulness is, can be a really good like check on capitalism because left unchecked capitalism could, it can ruin people's lives and destroy the planet. Honestly, if it's just left to go to its extreme mm -hmm. and, but my mindfulness itself, you know, We see the suffering, we see the consequences of our actions, of our purchases, of the businesses we support and allow in our communities and the places we work for. All of that, I think, bubbles up in an awareness that, you know, it's so much easier to see how those are your choices and those choices um, may or may not follow your values and as you become more mindful and live more mindfully and you can make more intentional decisions as an active participant of capitalism right you can shop local or you know look for artisan products or understand where marketing is maybe telling you you need something that you really don't and you know you can kind of see you know yourself behind that and you don't You're not carried away by, by advertisements and keeping up with the Joneses and all that. So you can continue to participate in capitalism as a worker, as a consumer, but with awareness and an intention, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And then that can eventually also lead to breaking up these systems. I think yeah. um, you're right that in a way... It's a kind of a chicken-egg thing. Yes, you can say that mindfulness can be used to make us more compliant and more accepting of the exploitation and the toxic influences of capitalism to the world, right? If you're looking at the income, the, the wealth disparity and exploitation around the world to make make billionaires, right? <clears throat> But I think there's also a layer where you have to see without mindfulness at the base layer, you're not even going to be aware of all of these things. You're not going to be aware of this cancerous nature of capitalism that infinite growth is just all consuming, right? And destroying us and the planet. And... Mm -hmm it can be used to actually reveal those problematic systems and problematic situations and the causes of our stress, mm -hmm. right? Yes, you could say, oh, I'm just 
doing mindfulness to reduce stress and be a better worker, but you could also say, why is there even the stress? Why am I even feeling the stress in my work? And why, what, what are the causes and how can we reduce that? Just also, and also giving us a base layer of regulation and making us calmer and kinder people is like a base requirement to even be able to tackle anything activist or revolutionary. You can't do that if you're completely entangled in your own day-to-day stresses and or trauma. We've talked about this too. Yeah. You can't do that. You can't do anything that helps the world if you're not have you don't have this base that you can feed off, right? And but yeah, it, I think the component of looking at the ethics of everything and using it to awaken from the individualist mindset to a more collective mindset and looking at the greed and all of this stuff, being aware of it is is definitely something that where mindfulness can actually help. And that's an important component because if that's missing, like it is in a, a lot of the, if you look at a lot of the mindfulness community and courses and yeah, then you don't, you're just reinforcing it. I have an, another quote from a, a Buddhist monk from America. He his name, I don't know if I'm saying this name right, but I think it's Bhikkhu Bodhi. And he said that absent a sharp social critique, Buddhist practices could easily be used to justify and stabilize the status quo, becoming a reinforcement of consumer capitalism. So really, this is not even just mindfulness itself, even Buddhist practices in general. So yes, there's definitely a component there. But I Mm -hmm. think when you have all of those components together, if you focus, focus, you shift your focus from a me to a we perspective and maybe incorporate things like the concepts of the non-self or the non-duality and being socially engaged, I think that in that mindfulness becomes something that is anti-capitalist, right? That cannot be in the same structure anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. I see a lot of that in the yoga community where I think you have both extremes where it's been, you know, it's a Eastern mindfulness practice that has gone, you know, really far off the capitalism deep end on one end, and then you've still got some very traditional practitioners on the other end and everything in between. But that it that got me thinking, though, that you were talking about, you know, being more mindful of what makes a billionaire and what does what about mindfulness like from the other side? From is it okay to you know, in the yoga community, sometimes teachers are criticized for charging for their classes. So things like that, like, can you, can you commoditize that? And is it okay to 
charge people to teach them or guide them through these practices. And then as that protection practitioner and you become more mindful, what does that do to you? Do you think if the billionaires were mindful, they would be billionaires? Do you think that would stop them or change, make them change their route or something? I don't know. But just like from the business owner or the capitalist side, like the person who's creating it, you know, where's that line? Yeah, I think there is a fine line between obviously you have to somewhat participate in the existing capitalist systems because you have to survive and you have to live and you don't want to have to turn every penny either. You have to fill your basic needs and potentially more than that so you can actually help your community and also help people that are not that don't have the capacity to work for example if you're a child or a disabled or something like that right you need these people need to be they're part of the community too and they have a right of that as well but if you look at it from that perspective i don't i think it it is important to be mindful of that there is some commodification going on and why are you charging for these things like what is the and if you look at it from a capitalist versus a non-capitalist system you're still compensated for your labor right even if you're not in a capitalist system so we can't just say oh he's charging for the mindfulness lecture or his work as a teacher and is therefore helping the status quo of capitalism that that's not you can't equate it like that because that's not what capitalism is right that's not this mm-hmm. distinction even in a non-capitalist society people get compensated for their work in one shape for way or form because you have to right. live right yeah. and i think it it becomes it becomes concerning if it is as we said used more from a perspective of a capitalist perspective of getting more profits, more capital, more, yeah, above what, above just getting compensation for your work, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then you can also look at other ways to, to help that scenario. What if we, if we could build a community where, you know, teachers mindfulness teachers or whatever are supported by the community, right? And then they're still going to have the function of a teacher. I think that's probably where you can't just straight out say, oh, he's charging for it. So obviously that's wrong. That doesn't make sense either. (laughs) But yeah, I think because it's still really important work and without getting the money to buy yourself food unless everyone gives you the food and the housing and everything you need for free that's another option (laughs) of course yeah but you need to be somewhat compensated and and it's still really important work i think mindfulness can be used really as a tool to break these things open looking at for example even decolonizing or anti-racist work if you are doing mindfulness practices you can then sit with these emotions especially as a white person to you when you do anti-racist work for example or decolonizing work you will inevitably 
come to these feelings of guilt and shame and sadness and anger, right? They will just arise because that is inherent of the work. Mm -hmm. And mindfulness will help you to sit with these emotions and be able to feel them and be okay with it and move then to the compassion and the drive to be able to do this work and go on right? Mm -hmm. and decolonize your mind and your yourself and your life. Yeah. But that means, again, mindfulness is a tool that supplements these, this work. Going back to your question of if a billionaire is mindful, will he stop becoming a, being a billionaire or will he or she be yeah. a better person? I think it really depends how this tool is used. Is it used to, mm -hmm. for themselves, for their own stress reduction and feeling more content and, and so on and focusing more on themselves and not necessarily on important work that reveals and breaks open these systems? then no, then mindfulness will not make them a better person mm -hmm. and make them make themselves make their life easier. Yes, but it's not going to make them a better person per se. Right. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, coming full circle that when you commoditize things like mindfulness and practices, make sure that you're not stripping away those parts that give someone, you know, that collective thinking, like you said, like where you're thinking of the masses, where you're not just utilizing the practices for yourself, but that you have a stress on, on the idea that it's more than that. It's outward and it's, you are connected to everything right. that, that exists. You, you are you have a relationship to it all and a responsibility to it all as a participant on in this on this planet and so i think when we're talking about capitalism and productizing these kinds of things that's what we need to make sure we're not stripping out that i think this is how mindfulness is going to help you is a great way to sell mindfulness right. and to get people to try it but the part that you're stripping away is that really important part that, I don't know, makes the world better. Right. So, yeah, I think on one hand, you can say because mindfulness is a tool, coming back to the question, is mindfulness bad with in relation to capitalism? I think it can be a tool to yeah. help uphold the status quo of capitalism and make people participate more in capitalism but it can also be the opposite it is something that i think it's very important to be prepared to do the important work against capitalism and to be able to break these things open yeah and i think some of those parts are doing that hard work that you're talking about. I think it takes a lot of surrender and vulnerability and being open to the practices, you know, whatever, you know, classes you're consuming or however you're learning about mindfulness, 
taking it that step further, you know, listening to what practitioners have to say, looking inside and actually doing work on your own personal self and how you relate to the world and relate to other people or doing the anti-racism work, doing healing of yourself and really letting the practices teach you about yourself so that you can then present and offer the best version of yourself to your community, to your family, to whoever you can be of service to. But I think it it's when you have to take those teachings and everything that step further and take responsibility for them and embody them. That's a lot of hard work, but I think that's the part, you know, that gets stripped away a lot and then bringing it out into your community and being of service. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's why we have the Western mindfulness, let's call it this way, really has these parts stripped away and we need to be very cognizant of that going Mm -hmm. back to the beginnings of our podcast and like why we're doing the podcast and how we've come over the almost two years now i think our goal was mindfulness because we saw exactly those advertised benefits for ourselves right And I think doing the work, if you really are wholly and deeply into doing mindfulness and practicing mindfulness and interested in mindfulness and and really trying to go back, where does it come from? What is it it and what can I do? I think, and maybe that's because it is us and we already had those thoughts about feminism and anti-racism, anti-colonization, and climate change, and all these things. It's just accumulated, so so we're using the tool differently. But I think it can lead you down this path that although mindfulness will never be the silver bullet, the thing that makes all your problems go away and, and saves the world, I think it is a super important foundation because if that piece is not there, I think all of the other pieces will not stand. It's a leg that is very super important. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a necessary tool these days as well. Like it just given how we have to show up in the world and go through our daily lives and the way our society is built, I think we need that mindfulness to recenter us and make us all yeah i guess better people but just you know, just better citizens of the world right yeah i think and i really like this series i have to say because it it lets me look at mindfulness from a more critical lens yeah and my own practice yeah. and my own thoughts about it and some of the things we've said we have looked into how it's scientifically backed now and how it works and versus what why are we saying these things and why are we doing these things mm-hmm. right so it's very interesting it gives me a little bit pause also about some of the thoughts we had about the future of this podcast i think we 
gives us a lot of food for thought. And I think that's very important mm -hmm. to look at it cri uh, critically like that. In, and I feel that any topic, looking at it critically is super important because otherwise we easily go into this realm of confirmation bias, right? Yeah. We just reinforce our previous beliefs and right. yeah. Right. Yeah. I want to mention some of the material or books that I, that I noted down here from the research I did for this episode. And uh, we'll definitely put that in the show notes too, but I wanted to mention it. <clears throat> so I mentioned before Ron Perser, uh, PhD, he wrote a few books around this topic, more of a critical view on mindfulness, looking more at the mindfulness that we see in the Western world, right? The commodified mindfulness. So one of the books is called Mech Mindfulness how mindfulness became the new capitalist spirituality. And it, it builds on this term, Mac mindfulness, that was originally coined by Miles Neal, a Buddhist teacher and psychotherapist, comparing the mindfulness industry to the franchise, this like fast food industry like McDonald's. He also wrote a handbook of the ethical foundations of mindfulness and a handbook of mindfulness, culture, context, and social engagement. Oh, so very interesting books. I'm very intrigued to read them. There's also a podcast that he joined a podcast called Musing Mind Podcast by Oshan Yarrow. They have an interview and talk a lot about this topic as well. So I think that's a nice further information spot as well. <clears throat> and then talking about the commodification of the spiritual new age spirituality of mindfulness. There's a book by Jeremy Garrett and Richard King called Selling Spirituality, the Silent Takeover of Religion. And then I have a journal article here, Incorporating Mindfulness questioning capitalism. So that goes more into the direction of how can we utilize mindfulness to question capitalism, right? To be more anti-capitalist and then looking yeah. at it more from a anti-racist perspective. I have a few books here. One is by Ruth King. It's called Mindful of Race, Transforming Racism from the Inside Out. And the other one is called The Inner Work of Racial Justice by Rhonda McGee. And then there's also a nice article by multiple people that you can see in the show notes, which is called Defunding Mindfulness. While we sit on our cushions, systemic racism runs rampant. So that talks more also about the activist and radical side versus the individualist, non-acting sliver of mindfulness. Okay, yeah, we can link to all of those in the yeah, show notes. Absolutely. So I think from my perspective, we covered everything. I don't know, Jackie. We covered a lot. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we're good. 
guess the jury's still out a little bit, but um, it's not black and white. It's a gray area. There's nuance. There's always for nuance. Sure. Absolutely. I want to yeah. thank you, our listeners, again for listening or watching our podcast and hope you're back. And we also hope that this spoke to you and gave you some food for thought. Maybe some questions came up, maybe some comments. If you want to give feedback, we're super happy to get your feedback. Please comment, write us, and hope to see you again next time. Yeah. You can find us um, on socials at Becoming Mindful Podcast or becomingmindfulpodcast.com. Um, so be sure to subscribe and keep following along this series with us. And we'll see you next time. Until then, be well. <laughs>